Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to another Q&A Tuesday. I realized when I finished recording the last episode of the podcast that I never really introduced myself at the beginning of an episode. And you may have listened to the trailer or maybe you listened to our little intro at the beginning of each episode, but I'm Erin. I'm Erin Yunker. I'm a pediatric sleep consultant. I own the Happy Sleep Company, a team of sleep consultants who work with families all over the globe to help them get healthy rest. I am based in Ottawa, Canada, so if you often hear me talking about how cold I am, and it is on this podcast, that is because I live in one of the coldest nation's capitals in the world, and it's very, very cold here right now in February. So that's where I am. I have my own little girl. Her name is Myla. She is nine now. She's a great sleeper, but she wasn't always. When she was a newborn in the first six months or so, we navigated a lot of sleep challenges. It is what led me to become so passionate about infant and toddler sleep because I've been on both sides of it. I have been where you might be right now, dealing with cat naps and night wakes and difficult bedtimes and just really wondering, am I ever going to sleep again? Is my baby ever going to get good sleep? And then I've been on the other side of it where we figured out the sleep challenges, we found the solutions, and we got baby sleeping great and the whole family sleeping great. And after realizing how life-changing that can be, I switched gears in my life, trained to be a sleep consultant and have helped thousands of families now to get that healthy rest too. So that's a little bit about me since I don't usually chat about that on the podcast or where I'm coming from as a mom and as a sleep consultant. But now that I've done that, let's dive into the questions for today. So it's Q&A Tuesday. I dove into my DM box on Instagram and a few emails that I had received in the past week and lots of stuff about naps today and then a doozy of a question for the last question of the day. I'll get to that one. So first question, since about Christmas, so, you know, five, six weeks now, my daughter fusses every time I, this is in little stars, every time I put her to sleep, naps and nighttime. She rarely does this for my parents who watch her, but mainly me. Never daycare, never my mother-in-law. We've kept our routines the same. Any tips? So it's really, really common that our little ones fuss the most for the person they most associate with putting them down for sleep. Also, you will find that children fuss the most for the caregiver that they are most comfortable with, that they are most comfortable exhibiting their emotions to. And when your little one has just been playing with you and enjoying time with you, and then realizes that sleep time is coming up, that makes it a really common time for babies and toddlers to start to fuss as soon as you head to their bedroom if mostly all you do in the bedroom is put them down for sleep. As soon as you put on their sleep sack, if you put on a sleep sack for every nap and every nighttime sleep, these are all cues to your child that sleep time is coming up. And they're good things. The sleep sack, a little story at nap time, those are good cues to give your child to help them understand that sleep time is coming up. But when your child's in a particularly fussy stage, those things can also cue to them that it's time to fuss and hope that maybe I don't actually have to go down for this nap. And that can be really tough. 
Children generally go through phases where they will fuss more for their caregiver when they're putting them down. And it, again, is very normal that they'll fuss a lot for one caregiver, especially their primary caregiver, and not at all for other caregivers like a grandparent or a daycare provider. The best thing I can tell you, mama, who asked this question is that this will pass. I'm not usually a fan of when people say this too shall pass because it doesn't necessarily help you in the moment. I get that. It's frustrating to hear this shall pass, this too shall pass in the moment because it doesn't help you in that moment. But sometimes it's what we need to hear to know that we're doing the right thing for now. And if we continue on and we are consistent, this will pass and you will get back to the stage you were at before where your child went down easily for you and her caregivers. The best thing to do is be consistent. If your child fusses for you and not for her other caregivers and you change the way you do her routine, it's likely to teach her to protest at you for different things to happen. So if she fusses more for you and you say, okay, well, you're fussing. So I think maybe we'll just forget about nap time right now. We'll go back and do more playtime and then we'll come back up for nap time. We're actually just teaching your little one to fuss to avoid nap time. And if you know that it's nap time, know your child needs that sleep and you're confident in that being the right time for her to go down, then you want to persevere with that nap and not avoid it such that she becomes overtired. So consistency really is the key. Consistency with doing the same routine the other caregivers do. Consistency with just being persistent over time and doing it over and over Yes, she is fussing, but you are there for her and she knows that. And with time and consistency, she will understand that no matter who is putting her down, the same thing is going to happen. And that protest will go away because she's not looking for different things to happen with each caregiver. The next question is about naps. My little one is on two naps. Usually we wake her for the day at 7 a.m., but if she has a random earlier wake because of our loud toddler, should I try to stretch her wake window to get her closer to her usual nap, or should I just follow her regular 2.5-hour wake window? This person is basically saying, my child normally wakes up at 7, we give her two and a half hours of awake time, and so she goes down for her nap at 9.30. But what if she wakes up for the day because of her loud toddler sibling at 5 o'clock in the morning? Should we then put her down two and a half hours later at 7.30 a.m.? Or should we just put her down at her usual nap time? My answer would be somewhere in the middle. So no, I would not be putting this child who normally goes down for a nap at 9.30 in the morning down for a nap at 7.30 in the morning because it's really going to throw her day off. And I can only assume if this child is having two and a half hours of awake time before their nap, they're on a two-nap schedule. You cannot put a child on a two-nap schedule down for a nap at 7.30 in the morning because your day is going to be really thrown off. They're going to finish their two naps really, really early in the day. And you might not have quite enough time for a third nap, but you are going to have an overtired child by bedtime. So when your child has an early wake like that, we need to get the day back on track. We need to balance out the day. So I would suggest that you don't necessarily stretch your eight month old all the way to 9.30 a.m. for their nap if they've been up since five. That's a pretty big stretch. However, 
when you are on a two-nap schedule, in general, I wouldn't put your child down earlier than 8.30 in the morning. So no matter what time they woke up that morning, even if it was a lot earlier than usual, I would stretch to 8.30 a.m. as the earliest for that nap because that's going to allow you to have a decent two-nap day and stay relatively on track and not end up with a super huge amount of awake time at the end of the day and a very overtired child by bedtime. Next question is about waking your baby up at a certain time every day. So should a baby be woken up at a certain time each day? Say not letting baby sleep past 7 a.m. for example. That was this next question. So the answer is yes. Generally at different ages, there are times of the day that I would suggest are the latest I would let a baby sleep in so that we have enough time in the day for a proper feeding schedule, a proper napping schedule, and we don't end up with a super, super late bedtime because we let baby sleep in so late in the morning. So for newborns, say four month olds, I would be waking them up by around 8, 8.30 at the latest because that's going to give you enough time in the day to get in all the calories they need, all the naps that they need, and not end up with like a 10, 11 o'clock bedtime. Your bedtime can still be, you know, 8, 8.30 at the latest with a schedule like that. Once your child hits about five to seven months, in order to fit in all the new wake time they can handle and also still fit in three naps a day, that's an age where you're probably going to need to wake your child by about seven o'clock in the morning to fit all of that great stuff in. At thehappysleepcompany.com, we do have a four to 10 month sleep guide and it covers a lot of those kinds of tweaks, especially for the five to seven month mark about things like waking your baby by a certain time and how we coordinate the day to make sure we fit in all the naps they need, all the awake time they can handle and still end up with an age appropriate bedtime. For a child who's on a two nap schedule, you can usually let them sleep in till 7.30, even eight o'clock in the morning and still fit in two decent naps and an appropriate bedtime. But as your child gets closer to a year of age and they still need two naps, but they need bigger wake windows, you may have to start waking them up again, more like 6 37 o'clock in the morning to fit in all that new wake time they can handle plus their two naps. Our 11 to 18 month sleep guide covers a lot of that age range and those tweaks that you might need to make when your child's around a year old and can handle bigger wake windows, but you still don't want to end up with a super late bedtime. And then once your child is on a one nap schedule, when they're around 16, 18 months and can handle just having that one nap each day in the middle of the day, usually you can let them sleep till around 7, 7.30 in the morning, but I wouldn't let them sleep much past that because we want to preserve enough sleep pressure for them to go down easily for a nap around the middle of the day. Next question starts with help. So help, we just enrolled our son in daycare for when he's 16 months. He'll need to be on one nap a day as per the daycare recommendation and schedule and how they operate. Do you recommend working our way towards that over the course of a month or two before he starts? I wouldn't say it's necessary to take a month or two to adjust your child to a one nap schedule. So In this situation, because the child is going to be 16 months of age when he goes to daycare and 16, 17, 18 months is a pretty average time for a child to be ready to be able to handle a one nap schedule, he'll probably do just fine. So since he's starting at 16 months, you could probably just start like one to two weeks in advance of this and help him gradually move towards a one nap schedule. So say he currently naps at 9.30 in the morning, You could start napping him half an hour later 
and then increase that by another half hour every few days until you get to the new desired nap time, which is probably going to be around 12 p.m. for most daycares. And you could just start that about a week and a half or so in advance of him starting daycare at 16 months, and then he'll be good to go. He'll be ready for that daycare situation with the one nap per day. Now, if I get this question, when I get this question, because I do, from parents whose child is about to go to daycare at 12 months of age and be put on a one nap schedule, I don't recommend that the parents drop that child to one nap any earlier than is absolutely necessary because that's pretty early to be going to a one nap schedule. So in that case, if the child is going to one nap at 12 months at daycare, I just recommend the parents keep two naps a day all the way up until the day he starts daycare and then allow daycare to make the transition. He's probably going to have an easier time with the transition at daycare because it's very interesting and stimulating and distracting. And even if he starts to get tired and cranky halfway through the morning, he's going to be distracted enough by all the new things going on around him and all the new people that he'll be able to get to that new nap with more ease than if you're trying to get a 11 and a half, 12 month old onto a one nap schedule at home. Normally it's gonna be harder to distract him. He's gonna be crankier because it's just you and the baby at home. So I would just stick with the two nap schedule if that's what work is working for your child and then allow daycare to make that transition if they have to at that 12 month mark. Last question for today, I promised it was a doozy. It's not a doozy, I guess, but it is a question I get asked often. It can be a loaded question for a lot of families and I think there is a lot of misperception about it. So here it is. Does sleep coaching mean you can't do overnight feeds anymore? So as you can see, we took kind of a 180 from the other questions we were doing today. This is a different question, but it's important, an important question and it's one I get asked not infrequently. So does sleep coaching mean you can't do overnight feeds anymore? Sleep coaching absolutely does not have to go hand in hand with weaning all of the nighttime feeds away from your baby. The first thing to keep in mind when deciding whether you're going to remove overnight feeds is to chat with your doctor. If you have any concerns about your baby's weight or where they're at on their growth curve, check in with your doctor first and find that out and talk to your doctor about what their recommendations are. But the growth curve and your baby's weight are really two important things that we're looking at if we are looking at removing overnight feeds as part of sleep coaching. If a family comes to me and says, my baby is four months old and only weighs nine pounds and is not on following a proper growth curve and we have concerns about their weight and our doctor is really still monitoring their weight, I will say to that family, okay, we can still get your baby sleep on track. We can still get your great baby great stretches of sleep at night. We can get them going down independently for their naps, but we're going to keep an overnight feed with your baby. If your baby is that age and we're still monitoring weight and there are any kind of concerns, we need to keep an overnight feed for sure. But if a family tells me that we wanna start sleep coaching and our baby is a super healthy weight and there are no weight concerns at all, then I'm probably gonna tell that family, great, we are fine to remove the overnight feeds because if we keep the overnight feeds for a baby who's a super healthy weight and tracking on a proper curve and well out of the newborn stage, then we're kind of just keeping a sleep crutch. And if we keep a sleep crutch one time at night, but we don't use a sleep crutch the other times the baby wakes up at night, are we probably just confusing that baby? Yeah, we are. And that baby's going to be pretty confused about what to expect each time they wake up. So when we keep an overnight feed as part of sleep coaching, it's about keeping it because there is a definite nutritional need and we're very confident that baby still needs it 
from a food perspective because we've checked in with our doctor. They are confirming that, yeah, we're still monitoring weight, still have a few concerns, baby's not following a proper curve. We need to keep that in mind and we definitely need to keep an overnight feed, which is a very different scenario than, you know, hey, my five-month-old is a super healthy weight, zero weight concerns then I'm confident he can do the night. And if we keep a feed, it's probably just going to confuse that baby. And it probably is going to see you have a lot more success with a sleep coaching program if we get rid of all the sleep crutches and help that baby start to just sleep straight through the night, be on a proper nap schedule, go down on his own for naps. The other thing you're going to see at that stage is that baby is going to replace any nighttime calories they were previously having in the day. And you're going to see that baby starting to have bigger, better, more efficient daytime feeds instead of what we often hear as sleep consultants, which is my baby just snacks and grazes all through the day and all through the night. And I never feel like my baby is taking a full proper feed. Now all of a sudden we see parents saying, wow, my baby takes big feeds in the day, he drains my breasts or he drains his bottle, whereas previously I would still feel full, my breasts would still feel full at the end of a quote unquote feed because it wasn't even a real feed. He's just never truly very hungry because he just snacks all through the day and night. Or my baby just plays around with the bottle, he's not really interested in taking full bottles in the day. Again, now when we've removed those nighttime feeds at an age and a weight where it's appropriate, we start to see the much better feeds during the day. We see baby replacing those calories during the day. So that's a little bit of information on overnight weaning when it comes to sleep coaching. But in short, to answer that question, sleep coaching does not always mean you have to remove all the overnight feeds right away. It's very family specific and baby specific and something you want to decide perhaps with your doctor before you get started sleep coaching, or if you're using a sleep consultant, you're going to chat through that with them in detail before you start any kind of plan. So those are the top five for the week. Thanks everybody for tuning in to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast. Hope that was helpful. Hope you have a great week and tune in next week. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company, and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com, for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.